Welcome to the Joy Venture Podcast, a show where dreamers and doers share stories of discovering, developing, and spreading their joy with the world. I'm your host, Thad Devassi. So how do you respond when the life you've known and the life you've always imagined doesn't unfold to be the life you actually live? When I first heard Ian Burkhart's story, I knew it was one that more people needed to hear. defines what it means to be living with purpose. He's living a life filled with risk, sacrifice, and a whole bunch of hurdles. Ian's story has already made its way to the TEDx stage in the pages of the New York Times and others. And on the surface, this is an important medical story, a breakthrough science and technology story. But for this podcast, we wanted to focus on the human story. I don't want to give it away. I want Ian to tell it. And we couldn't think of a more appropriate story to share as we prepare for Thanksgiving. So be ready to be inspired. This is Ian Burkhart on the Joy Venture Podcast. Well, Ian, thank you for coming back to Brainstorm Media, where you actually did some interning um, while you were in school. And so, you know, why don't we why don't we go back to that point and, and start the story from the beginning and have you explain the, the direction of where things were going for you in the summer of 2010, the dreams and aspirations you had, kind of what was going on at that time for you? I had just finished my freshman year of college at Ohio University. I was majoring in video production, really wanted to have a goal of creating my own work as far as doing everything from filming and editing and setting up all the lights and camera and everything, just kind of with a one-man band operation. Um, I would have loved to eventually gone out to California at some point to get some good experience, but I always knew that I really liked the Midwest and I liked the attitude of people out here. Um, So I was just really looking forward to continuing on with my college career and, you know, working on more and more projects. I worked on the sports show at Ohio University, which I really loved because I just loved sports growing up and was able to join two of my passions together with that. Yeah. So you finished that first year of college. You're getting a taste of where things may go. You tell the story um, in multiple places, but we'd like you to kind of touch on it here. Um, that You and some buddies... After that first year, you went down to North Carolina, um, kind of a you know summer vacation with some friends. And talk to us about what happens when you're down there that changes the trajectory of your life. It was just after we finished classes and exams for my freshman year, and we had a trip planned to go down to the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Um, just a few friends and a couple parents, um, no one from my family directly, but just to kind of cut loose and enjoy the start of the summer. Um, However, on that first day of vacation, I took a dive out into the ocean where I was playing in the waves and 
was diving out in, into a wave and it pushed me down into a sandbar. So what I was diving into was a lot more shallow than what I thought. Um, as soon as I hit that sandbar on my head, I knew something was completely wrong because I had no feeling and I couldn't get up. And I knew that I was paralyzed. When you know immediately something's wrong, what what starts going through your head? And, and not just in that moment. I mean, that may be just a get me out of the water. Um, but what starts going through your head in the days after that? The biggest thing is fear. Yeah. Because you're uncertain of what your life holds now. I mean, up until that point, I had a pretty good vision of what I wanted my life to be. But now I had a lot of uncertainty of, you know, what the next few days would be, what the next couple of weeks would be and how my life would be from that point on. At what point did you know, or was it clarified for you that, you know, Ian, you have a spinal cord injury and this means whatever the doctors told you, when, when did that diagnosis come? When did that realization of, I know something's wrong to this is now the course of my life. When, when, when did that realization sit in, uh, set in or the, the doctors tell you that? It was the day after, after I had surgery to stabilize my spine and I was a little bit recovered from that surgery to where the doctors told me the extent of my injuries I definitely knew something was very wrong before, but I also thought that, you know, okay, I'll go into the hospital for a few days, a week, and then I'll get out and, you know, might have to do a little bit of therapy or whatnot, but I'll be back to myself in, you know, a month or two. Um, but that day after the surgery, when he told me that this is what it's going to be like the rest of your life, you have a 99.9% .9 chance of never walking again. And what my life will be like was a moment that I'll never forget. And so this sounds like a really bizarre topic for a joy venture podcast. Um, but you're here and we're having this conversation. And so there's, there's obviously light at the end of this tunnel for you that we'll, we'll get to, but talk to us about, the 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 weeks the months that first year two years of this is this is the the new normal for you talk about that it was challenging because i was the first quadriplegic i ever met so i had no idea what to expect for life to be like and i think that that was very hard, but also a good thing because then I didn't have these preconceived notions of what, you know, I would settle to become or end up wanting to do. I just wanted to make the best of the situation. So that first year was certainly really hard because I was going through so much change in my life and I didn't really know how I was supposed to handle that. And on top of it, then, I had a big change in my friends and social setting because I went from being in college, being extremely independent, hanging out with my buddies all the time, to now I'm back living at home, all my friends are away at school, 
and it was really challenging. How, um, at what point you get through the, you get through this challenge stage, or you're, you're in this challenge stage, and you think, okay, th- this is this is it. Um, I, I'm in this chair. I, I may not do the things that I thought I once was going to do. How how did you wrap your mind around? Let me back that up and say, how did you not want to quit? I, I think a lot of us, when, when we're thrown adversity, we we tend to crumble a bit. Um, this is adversity at the nth degree. This is. No, 99% of us can never imagine going through what you have gone through. At what point do, do you get to that point to say, it's time to move forward? But I, okay, this is life. I'm, I've got to carve out a new normal for myself. It was certainly challenging. Um, I feel like I was lucky in the sense that I was able to come to that realization fairly quickly that this is how my life is going to be. And I need to accept that Um, because it is the easy route to just quit and want to stop and complain about everything. But I didn't really see that as an option because then your life stops and I didn't want my life to stop. I wanted to make the best out of the situation. um, Even though I had to reevaluate everything and adjust to my new normal and my new life. But it was something that I was okay with because I was still here. So, uh, so as far as you having, you know, what what were the tools? Like, what were the things that were the actual? What was in your environment? What was creating that drive externally for you that was helping to support that decision? I mean. You know, it's, I think it's hard sometimes to think about having to conjure up that within yourself. Um, but, you know, were there, were there external forces? Were there other things that were helping to drive you to be able to kind of make that decision to, to kind of look at life in a different way? One of the huge motivators for me to stay so positive was all the support I had after my accident. I had friends and family around me constantly that they really wanted to see me succeed and wanted to see me do well. And I didn't want to let them down. And that was a huge motivator because I never wanted to let anyone down. And now I had this big, big change in my life where I could have easily just stopped. But they were motivating me and driving me to continue and you know make the best out of my life. You said something to us in a conversation we had earlier that um, you would change some things, but you're not upset that this is just a part of your journey and that you're learning from it. I, I wish I could say the same things about things that in retrospect or in comparison to are just absolutely trivial. <laughs> you have this ability to have more than a glass half full point of view. How 
did you get to that point? Has it always been in you? Have you have you always been that character, that person that's that saw the good, the positive, the potential in things? So this, while a monumental shift or setback in what you thought your life was going to look like, was it just part of your nature to be this way? Or as Jeremy said, did you have to, you know, really really work hard to get to that point, you know, not to disappoint other people because you saw other people coming around you or talk a little bit about just, you know, your motivation, your drive. Has it always been there? Has it always been that way for you? I think it was always there to some degree, but I was never put in a situation where it needed to be so apparent until I broke my neck. And that's when it really shined. And, you know, it was extremely hard. And there's certainly times where I cried and I just felt terrible. But I just wanted to make sure there were more good days than bad days and keep moving forward. I was always, I'm always an analytical person and trying to look at, you know, how we, can we make this situation better? And that's exactly how I saw my life after my accident. This is the way it is. This is the hand that I've been dealt. Let's play the best game of cards we can. So um, part of our method and part of our story that we tell through our podcast is this three-step story where people, they discover something that brings them joy. Then they, then they go from the discovery phase into a development phase uh, and then into a, a spreading it where you get to tell everybody about it. You get to spread. You get to share that joy with other people. At what point in time, you know, you're, you're doing some cool stuff now. We, we, you can find articles in the New York Times uh, where you're appearing in some really cool things that are going on in your life and, and opportunities you've had. At what point in time you, did you go from this position of trying to reconcile and, and move forward to discovering something new that, that has gotten you involved in where you are today? It was a lot of being in the right place at the right time. Um, I had to be in the wrong place at the right time to get into the situation I am from the get-go. But now I've been able to make the best of, of that and be in the right place at the right time to participate in this research study with Ohio State and Battelle. And that's allowed me to really help provide a lot of more hope for people that are in my situation and allow other people to learn from my situation so that they may not have to go through the issues that I went through. So, so tell me what, uh, help us understand, or, or just, I'm going to say state that again. What was that right place and right time? After my injury, I did a lot of physical therapy and occupational therapy but you hit a point where insurance thinks you've plateaued and you're not going to make any more progress. I wasn't ready to accept that. I wanted to do more and more. So I kept asking my doctors what other types of therapies are there for me? What other things can I do? And that's when I was in the right place at the right time because they were just starting this research study with OSU and Battelle and I was, you know, the perfect candidate for someone they were looking for that had the specific type of injury 
was young, I had the drive to want to succeed and want to get myself to be better. And I also had some free time because I was taking a few classes, but I wasn't working full time. I I had a bunch of time that I can donate and volunteer to be a part of this research study. So that's really what allowed me to have that big change. Wow, that's really cool. So so tell tell us about how that went. Like tell us about how that that process went. You you find out about it. You contacted Ohio State or Battelle and said I'm interested and they found that you were the perfect candidate. So ex- explain what's going on and and how they're uh, using your volunteer time and and you know your specific injury to help further uh, their project and what their what the research they're doing. So once I made that connection with Ohio State and Battelle and the right doctors, um, I started working with them and they were just stimulating muscles in my forearm to see if they could reactivate some of those muscles and make my hand move again and. For me, that's huge because I think the hardest thing about being paralyzed is not having full use of my hands. It's not walking and being in a wheelchair, but it's not being independent. So if I had any chance to get back any of that movement in my hands to be more independent, I was all for it. Um, After we were able to see a lot of success from the muscle stimulation in my forearm, They explained to me how, you know, this is really just the tip of the iceberg. What we want to do is use a brain interface to control this system. So you're thinking, open your hand and your hand opens instead of the engineer clicking a few buttons on the computer and making your hand open. So with that, I underwent elective brain surgery. And now I can use the system in the lab that allows me to think open my hand or close my hand and within a half of the second my hand will actually respond what's that like it's definitely surreal because i feel like i lost all of that when i had my accident but now seeing you know some of the ability come back is incredible it's it's definitely not the same because i don't have all of the sensation and I don't have all of the movement that I had before my injury, but I can certainly appreciate just those little things of seeing how just opening and closing my hand will make a big difference in my life. Being able to pick something up off the table and bring it to myself will allow me to be a lot more independent. Wow. So does it just out of curiosity, does it, does it feel the same? I mean, you said that you don't feel the the actual texture uh, from that perspective, but is it? Does it feel the same? Like for someone who can't experience what you're experiencing, like uh, you know, the idea that all of a sudden you're thinking something in your brain and your hand is moving in a way that it didn't before. Like, what's that sensation? Like, what's that? What's that feel like? It's a odd sensation because. I lost that ability to move, and then four years later now, I can make my hand move. Um, So it's something I have to completely retrain my brain on how to move. I never thought about 
how do you extend your fingers or how do you open your hand before? And now I have to break down all of those movements and really concentrate on that for the computer to understand my thoughts. I can completely understand why you would want that. You've, you've lost something and you want it back. Um, we've not lost it. That sounds a little creepy to us when we hear about um, an implant in my brain reading or in your brain reading your thoughts in order to move your hand. But it's giving you that sensation and it's giving you some of that independence back. But, but you said um, a few moments ago that you underwent elective brain surgery which is not something that I know too many people raise their hand for. And so talk about the risks involved of, because we're talking about, you know, moving your, your fingers or getting stimulation back in your hands or wherever else that may go from, from there. But with any surgery, there are significant risks. And when we're talking about the brain, those risks, I'm sure, are, are multiplied and compounded. Talk about how you came to that decision, what they said those risks were, how your family, you know, this, you know, your mom and dad, this is, this is our boy, right? And I, and he's here. We're thankful for that, but we don't want to, we don't want to risk anything, but at the same time, you want the reward. Talk about the, that sort of, you know, push pull, if you will. It was a big decision to make because, like you said, it's elective brain surgery. It's something very serious, but it was that risk-reward balance that I had to really think about, and I saw that you know, the potential to regain use of my hands was worth the risk of you know, a potential infection in the brain or um, having something go wrong and me losing some function that I still retain after my spinal cord injury. But I knew that if I had any possibility to regain use of my hands, that I wanted to take that choice. And it was hard to convince my family and my mom and dad, especially because they didn't want anything to go wrong. They saw, you know, all the struggle I went through just a few years ago and now I'm risking all of that for something that this is the first time it's ever been done. So it's only used in the lab right now. It's not something I can take full advantage of. But I'm doing it so that one day I can take full advantage of it. And other people can take full advantage of it and be a lot more independent and do whatever they want to do. So... You're making progress. How are your doctors feeling about the progress that you're making? Battelle, seeing this technology working, um, you know, we can see you. You're sitting here right in front of us. You you drove your own van here to the interview. Um, this is kind of amazing. Um, how are, the, how are they responding to how well you're responding to the treatment? And what's the, what's the future look like in, in terms of this therapy and what you're, and, and what you're experiencing and, and what the hope might be going forward? It's hard to say because when I initially signed up to have brain surgery, it was supposed to be something that would last one year. And that's what 
the FDA gave us clearance for um, because this is something that's not done all the time. Um, now we're sitting here and it's been three and a half years since I had that brain surgery and things are going a lot better than expected. Um, it's tough to say what the future will hold because it hasn't really been done before. Um, but I think if you ask most of the people on the team, they'll tell you that we're exceeding the expectations they had before this all began which I think is a great thing. And I think it's because everyone that works on the project is so passionate about it. I'm super passionate about it because I live this day in and day out. And while I've been able to see some improvements that translate into my everyday life as far as regaining some strength and regaining some coordination, I still don't have the ability to move my hand independently without the system. Um, but the other people I'm working with on this, the study, they don't, they don't see that day in and day out. They're not living that, yet they still want to dedicate their life's work to helping people in my situation and helping me regain some of that independence. You said something to us the other day that, you know, as we were hearing about all this progress that you're making and you talked about how you could turn this on and off, um, that, that you're not, that the, the implant that you have that helps you move your hand, that sometimes that's not engaged. Is that right? Yeah, it's only something that I can use in the lab right now. Um, so I mentally have to be able to compartmentalize being able to use my hand again and then leaving the lab and being right back to where I was before I had the brain surgery. Um, it's something that's challenging because I would love to take the system home with me and use it, um, really put it through the ringer as far as what it can do and what it can't do. And it, it's so early on that it's, it would, wouldn't be the greatest thing to use, but even if it would allow me to do a couple more things at home independently, I'd take it. Yeah. There was a, a point where you were sharing this with us and I'm feeling the potential and I'm feeling the possibility. And I'm like, well, this is amazing. And then I felt like you took all of the wind out of the room, out of the, out of the conversation, if you will, when you, when you said that there is sometimes this, um, you know, the signals aren't, aren't uh, connecting, right? And, and I'm, I'm going to use this in terms maybe our audience will recognize, like being on Wi-Fi, right? You've got good cell service, you got, you know, we just dropped a call. You know, that kind of um, intermittent uh, connection. And then it kind of dawned on me that this is technology and kind of like a laptop or any other type of device that we have, eventually it runs its course and it's no longer effective or it breaks down or whatever that case is that's in your brain. And, and when, so when you said that, that, that there may be more elective surgeries and it, there may be a 2.0 coming and maybe not that I felt like a punch in the gut to me and I'm not even living it. And so how, 
do you think about that, about the, all the progress you've made and to think that, gosh, I don't know, research funding isn't there or we've taken this as far as we can go or what, whatever those, you know, obstacles that are, I mean, maybe even outside this, this team and, um, how, you've come so far, but yet it's kind of still the tip of the iceberg. Talk about that, where the potential is, and also recognizing that, like you said, you don't know. This is uncertain. How do you how do you process that and keep this amazing positive attitude? It's certainly challenging because I don't know what the future is going to be like because this is such early on technology. Um, but like any technology, and like you said, at some point this technology is going to get antiquated and it's not going to be something that's useful anymore. And that's weird to think that, you know, potentially I'll have another surgery to upgrade my body. Um, but if it can help me regain that movement that I thought was lost forever when I broke my neck, it's it's worth it for me to have another surgery or to have an, another couple surgeries. Um, I really see it as, you know, the next evolution of people being able to enhance and augment their ability because of how technology is changing and how it's going to allow us to improve our quality of lives. All of those dreams that you had as a young man finishing his freshman year at Ohio University, have those dreams changed now as a result of where you are? Do you, uh, you know, um, they, they've obviously changed to some degree, um, certainly. But video production, a little more challenging for you to do now, um, obviously from you know some of the things that you loved and what comes with the role of that work. How have you pivoted in, tor- in terms of thinking about not just day-to-day getting on with my life and, and helping be a part of this research study that has the potential to help others, but personally for, for Ian, you've got a whole life to live and things to give to society. What is it that you want to do beyond this, this research work that you're helping with? What is, what is, Ian, the 20-something wannabe. It was a big change. Um, And I was forced to make that change abruptly because of my accident. But it still was something that I think is on path with what I wanted to do before. I realized that, you know, I may not be able to edit video and I may not be able to set up a camera and do things like that anymore. But I always had to drive for business. Um, And I was minoring in business when I was at Ohio University, and now I just switched that, and it became my major. I got a degree in business management from Columbus State, and I'm currently taking classes at Ohio State to receive a degree in accounting. And, you know, that's allowed me to, you know, accept the changes that happened in my life to be something that I can certainly still work on a computer and, you know, do things that it's not as, as fast as I used to be able to do. I can't do, 
you know, all the keyboard shortcuts and things like that anymore. Um, but I really can still do something that I'm passionate about, which is fantastic. So as far as the third phase, which is the spreading your joy, um, we had talked a little bit about you having a strong desire to help other people, uh, specifically people that have gone through the same injury you have and helping them to kind of accept it and to see what the possibilities are. Can you share a little bit about that with us? I think one of the beautiful things about life is learning from your experiences. Um, whether those are good experiences or bad experiences, you can learn from them. And, you know, I want to take everything in my experience that I've learned and share that with other people. I've had a great opportunity to do that with the research study and use my experience in my situation to potentially help other people in the future. Um, but now I have really allowed my injury to define my life a little bit more than I wanted to because I want to help those other people. And I've started the Ian Burkhart Foundation to help other people with spinal cord injuries, with the financial burden and the physical and emotional burden that's placed on them. Um, the goal is, you know, to really allow people to get back to their lives as quickly as possible. Um, for me, I think it took about two, two and a half years before I was, you know, to the point where I'm ready. This is my normal life. Let's see what I can do. And if there was a way to speed that up, I'd be all for it. Um, I was fortunate enough that I had great family and friends that were able to support me right after my injury. And there's certainly other people who don't have those benefits because, you know, they might be, you know, living out of state or far away from their family. Um, and, you know, anything that I can do to help those people and help them realize that life does go on is something that I'm all for. So if someone finds themselves listening to this podcast, maybe someone shared it with them or they're, they're, they're listening to this and they're hearing your story and they've found themselves in a similar situation as to what you did. Um, you know, something just happened that has completely changed the way they are going to live the rest of their lives. What's some advice you would give to them? I think the biggest thing is to appreciate some of the small things in life. I feel like being 19 when I had my injury, you know, you're living at a time where you think you're kind of invincible. Um, but now I've, I was forced into learning the perspective and realizing the bigger picture of things. And if you can take, you know, each day and find more good than bad and continue that on, that will really compound and snowball into something pretty incredible. And there's certainly going to be bad days, regardless of your situation. Everyone has bad days, but you really want to focus on those good days 
and make the best out of your situation. But what gives you joy? What, what is it that you have found in having to redefine your life in a way that was not of your choosing. How have you found and where have you found joy to keep yourself going? It's certainly been in the smaller things in life that I've been able to find a lot more joy in now. Those things that I think I really took for granted before I had my injury of just spending time with friends and family and the people that you care about. And, you know, even something as small as, you know, getting up and sitting outside and feeling the warmth of the sun coming down. It's just those, those little things that, you know, don't seem to be that important. But when you've potentially lost all of that, now I'm able to find the value in all of those things and really see that it's incredible that I can still experience a lot of those, even though there are some things that I can't do anymore. You, you'd said to us this, that you've learned to take life slowly and, and live in the moment. And it, based on what you said, it sounds like you clear, clearly are doing those things. And I think there's a lot that, we all can learn from you, not because of your injury, but just your new outlook on life that we all could benefit from slowing down a little bit, enjoying the, the, the small moments in life. It's certainly hard to not get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. And I, I do get caught up in it from time to time, but you have to realize that there's there's a bigger picture to things. And, you know, a lot of these small things that may not seem like a big deal really guide you on your path throughout life. And it could just take one little change that can change that course of your life completely. But you have to control the things that you can control and try not to worry about the things that you can't control as much to really want to have a joy-filled life. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk with a lot of people, um, and I think the way this podcast parallels really well with some of the other stories, and one of the things you talked about when we were on the phone is I listened to some of the other people's stories and I think my story fits in here well. Um, a lot of the people that we talk with have been forced out of their career or something happened in their life that put them on a track they did not expect. Uh, and they've been able to find joy through that. And I think, you know, your story isn't any different than theirs in many ways. It's, you know, you've, due to circumstances outside of your control, you've been moved into a position that you didn't expect or didn't ask for. Um, but nevertheless, you're finding some, some peace and joy. And, and not only that, you're using it to encourage other people and, and spread that to uh, help others that have found themselves in a similar situation. And that's, 
that's awesome. I mean, it sounds to me like in many ways you found your purpose. I think it's an amazing thing that, you know, being forced into a situation really does allow you to realize what makes you happy. And if you can take something that you're super passionate about and turn that into being a career and what you want to do with your life, then you're going to have so much more pleasure for life. Mm. And you're really going to enjoy everything that you do so much more and be able to make a bigger impact because you're so passionate about it. So where do you see yourself in 20 years? Ooh, that's tough. (laughs) Um, I think I've realized it's, it's hard to make those long-term goals because I've seen how something can derail all the goals that you had. Um, but you still want to make and set a lot of goals for yourself because I think that helps drive you as a person. Um, for myself in 20 years, I would love to be, you know, continue working on all the projects that I'm passionate about with the foundation that I've started and with doing some accounting work and things that I really like. Um, I would also, you know, love to be settled down with a family and raising my own kids to, you know, find the joy that they can in life for something that makes them really happy, regardless of, you know, the situation that might arise, just trying to find something that truly makes you happy and going out and doing everything you can to achieve that. It's the best answer I've ever heard. And beyond that, thank you for what you're doing for other folks that are, you know, that are just yearning for the technology to be able to do this. You know, we, with the way technology is moving and the way medicine's moving and the things that are going on at Ohio State, you know, different research hospitals and with Battelle and Columbus is very uniquely positioned to be able to do some of this cool stuff. So when you talk about being in the right place at the right time, in some ways you're in the right city at the right time, um, to be able to have the technology and the capabilities of, of being able to get a glimpse of what the future can hold is really, really exciting. And just thank you for, you know, even though it's something that you may not be able to fully experience, but it's something that you can see that that could impact people's day-to-day lives in the future. Uh, just seeing in your eyes what that does for you and the joy that it's going to bring others uh, that's really encouraging for me and I'm sure for that as well. And for those who, um, who are going to have the opportunity to use the technology that you're really helping pioneer in this world. So we just thank you for that and, um, for your, for opportunity to just kind of hang out with you this morning. Well, thank you guys very much. I think it's, it is incredible being here and being in Columbus and having all these opportunities and you know doing anything i can to share that with other people to you know potentially give them hope for the future is something that i really love doing cool awesome. thank you so much thank Thanks, you and you're, you're a huge inspiration to us and and hopefully um we'll be giving some additional resources on our website on your foundation um places where they can see more about your story and some of the research that's going on cuz we we kind of just 
really just started to scratch the surface on that. So there's a lot more to your story that we hope people will dive into and, and really understand the, the remarkable young man you are. So thank you for, um, you know, coming on and uh, giving Jeremy and I the, the privilege of sitting down and talking with you today. Thank you both. Thanks. Ian is a brave and incredible individual, and we are inspired by his remarkable story. He's an encouragement to all of us to slow down, recognize what's important, and then dig a little deeper into those things that really matter. While we specifically focused on Ian's personal journey and rediscovering joy and purpose in his life, there is a great amount of content on the medical side of Ian's journey to discover as well. You can start by visiting his website, ianburkhart.com to find these stories, or you can find them directly on our website as well. You can also see what Ian is up to with his foundation and how he's bringing hope and joy to others who have experienced a spinal cord injury. Our hearts and prayers are with Ian as he continues to chart a path into the great unknown of medical discovery and breakthroughs. If you like what you're hearing on the Joy Venture podcast, we'd love to know about it. Head over to iTunes or SoundCloud to like and follow us. And we'd love it if you'd write us a review on iTunes so others who are looking to discover their joy can discover this podcast. Trust us when we say it really does help. To hear more podcasts or read the posts that are meant to nudge the dreamer in all of us to become the doer we were meant to be, visit us at joyventure.net. And if you're discovering or developing your joy and need some help creating your brand through design or story, we'd love to partner with you. After all, it's what Jeremy and I do. Until next time, remember, never stop discovering. Thanks for listening.